Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to the Mini Break, your day podcast for the big storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world. Today is Monday, December 11th. It's officially off-season time in the pro tennis world. That opportunity we rarely have to reflect on everything we've seen unfold over the past 11 months. Of course, in the coming weeks, we'll start to project how we think the 2024 season might play out. But this week, we're in that in-between period where, again, we still have a little bit of reflecting to do. Certainly many of us are starting to see the Instagram clips come out of players in the throes of their off-season work. So what do we do on this podcast in the meantime? Well, we're going to go back to our roots here on this show this week. I want to introduce something I'm calling Nerd Week here on the Mini Break Podcast feed. Now, some of you may argue that every week is Nerd Week here on this show. For God's sakes, we do a daily podcast about all things happening in the tennis world, but we're going to double down on that here this week. We're going to get into some strange topics throughout the course of the week, and I want to start with one that I think will actually be a very fun one. Not that they're all not going to be fun, but this one particularly enjoyable for all of you listeners, and unfortunately, because tennis is an individual sport, we don't have all-star rosters. We don't have that opportunity to perhaps put together a team of players that all reflect a certain theme on the season. Well, we have that opportunity on today's show, and we're going to use this podcast to do precisely that. To start off Nerd Week, I want to introduce our 2023 confounding WTA All-Stars. What do I mean by that? Well, these are the players who Coming out of the season, you just have a lot of questions about moving forward in their careers, whether it is what's their upside, whether it's what's their floor moving forward, what can we expect from them in the immediate future, what are the immediate changes that perhaps they could make to their game to make another leap forward wherever they are, wherever they are, excuse me, in the respective rankings. And, you know, I also think it's worth asking, have some of these players plateaued? Do we need to consider that as we look at the broader picture moving forward? The 2023 confounding All-Stars just feels like the perfect mechanism to have those sorts of conversations. And I can think of no better person to have this conversation with to kick off Nerd Week than a man joining us on the show today. He's a man, of course, we have heard from many a times on our Crack Rackets podcast over the years as he has been kind enough to contribute both his words and his writing to our Crack Rackets team. Of course, you can also read him on the Action Network. You can read his All About Tennis blog. You can just hear all things from him on Twitter at TennisBlogger1. It is our dear friend, returning champion, David Gertler, joining us once again. David, welcome back to the show. How are you doing, my friend? 
Thank you so much for having me, Alex. It's been a while, but I am so happy to be back. And we're back at a time when Michigan basketball got a big win over Iowa yesterday and Michigan football, even though we got screwed, we have to play Alabama, um, (laughs) totally hosed, but we are at least the one seed in the college football playoff. Um, I'm so excited. I love talking WTA tennis. So this is exciting for me. It's why you're the perfect guest to have for today's show. I am going to push back on you, though, right away. I don't think Michigan got hosed. I think we have the four best teams. I think this is pretty clearly the best playoff we have ever had. And I just don't know how you leave out the SEC champ when – if you just watch the games, like the SEC is just better than everyone else. It's the closest we have to minor league pro football. The SEC champ like versus a Florida State team that is with their third string quarterback and second objective. String. I mean, okay, fine. Second string. Watch their series. Like watch that offense. It's anemic. We have the four best teams. Who are you picking? So Alabama plays Florida State. Who are you picking? Straight up. I would – You know, I would have to analyze and look at the different uh, factors involved. That is a cop-out answer of your way of saying I would pick Alabama, but I don't want to concede your point. It's the four most – you know, again, it's the four best teams. We have the same conundrum. I think it should be the four most deserving teams. But it's the four best teams. Like, aren't the most deserving the teams that are the best? But I I think best is subjective. That's fair. Uh, That's fair. But so is deserving. Yeah, but you can't argue thirteen and now. Yes, I can. I say twelve and one is better. <laughs> like again, Texas is twelve and one. They're the number three seed. So right away, you are arguing a twelve and one is better, conceding that right away. Even if Florida well, State would have been your four, I would have liked for some shenanigans to go on where Florida State was four and Texas is three. I think likely what should have happened is Florida State be three and Texas be four. Look, I have and, no problem with it. I it may be subjective. I watch the games. Are like, you going? The, the, uh, no chance. I I, I went to the Big Ten Championship, which oh, is did? the biggest perk of living in Indianapolis. Three straight oh, years, right. baby. Yes. we got uh, three in a row. Of course, I'm going to attend. Yeah. I mean, again, it's a fascinating discussion. It was really fascinating, and this is a shameless plug for our Great Shot podcast feed. But the college tennis rankings this year, particularly mm-hmm. the men's side, was a very very similar debate where you have the two-time defending champ Virginia who brings back five of six starters, most importantly, their top three, right? Because they still have the anchors up top versus a Texas team that on paper is maybe the best team we've seen since like the 2015 to 17 Virginia teams where all those guys went on to be top 400, 300 players in the world or win futures titles, et cetera. Like, who am, And I had this debate with my older brother. I had this discussion with like 36 coaches. Who do you pick, the team on paper or the team you've seen do it? And like it, it, hearing both sides of the equation was fascinating. One, my older brother crystallizes. He goes, Alex, who would you pick to win? Because that's the team that should be ranked higher. Now, well, here's the I, difference. I agree. You said two-time defending champion, right? Yeah. That's past seasons. That's this is true. Okay, but what Florida State did was in the past with Jordan Travis. Like, show me what you've yeah, done well, with your second string quarterback. Not much. I watched that Florida game. It was tough. Anyways, yeah, but they were a lot the of. Road. It's they, a fun but, discussion, I guess. Yeah. All this to relate it to tennis, <laughs> the the rankings mechanism, how it's played out again, how it's weighted with the various events and the scale accordingly. It allows for this sort of debate, but ultimately, again, because the ranking is so numerically determined and mathematically determined, like a player is ranked mm-hmm. with the points they earn puts them. And so it, it is just fascinating that 
I, I wish we could have those resume debates with, you know, the way the greatest of all time discussion was a resume debate until Djokovic decided to just make his resume longer than everyone else's on the men's side. And so anyways, it's good to have you back. I can tell you right away. I've missed you. That said, we have limited time today. So let's begin Nerd Week. Let's get into the 2023. Are we going from bottom of the rankings up or up to down? D- you or know, random. DG, you can roll whatever way you'd okay. like to roll. But before we get into our individual names, and just so you guys know, I asked David to come up with five names. I came up with far more than five names. And we'll get to the honorable mention section, don't worry, at the end of this show. But I've pinpointed my five most interesting on my list, which, of course, I broke down into three tiers. I can't do an exercise like this without having a three-tiered list. You know how I roll, David. And so before we get into our respective lists, I want to start more broadly. And I Mm -hmm. talked about this in assessing – you know, the season in the WTA award show we did with Gil and David Kane. And certainly as we had State of the Union week last week, talked about the Americans, talked about the next geners, who I consider, of course, the 24 to 28 year olds, the original next geners. We got into this topic a little people bit. People like me. Yeah. My, and my generation. Us. Exactly. The people who should be in the prime of their tennis careers <laughs> over the next couple of years who should be dominating the storylines. Anyways, I actually think this is one of the least confusing WTA seasons we've had in quite some time. And why I relate this conversation to ones we've had over the past couple of weeks is because for the first time in a long time, there was clarity at the top of the women's game. Sure, there was still that feeling at times that there are 40 top 30 players in the world and that that list from 12 to 25 in particular can vacillate on any given day. But -hmm. for the first time in a long time, you know, Iga, Sabalenka, Goff, Pagula, Rabakina, like one of those players was winning the biggest titles. Sons, of course, Roland Garros, uh, excuse me, Sons, of course, Wimbledon, where we saw Vondrusova, thank you, win the title. Like even the 1000 level events in the clay season, Iga had her success. You had Sabalenka versus Iga. You had a Rabakina run. You had, of course, the Sunshine Swing, Sabalenka, Iga dominating the storylines, Goff, Pagula really doing their thing in North America, and then Iga reminding everyone at the world, no, no, I'm still the player to beat. Like, yes, there are some individual players who I'm certainly confused about as we get into today's show, but as we kind of forecasted in the next gen, podcast we did. As I look over the next three to five seasons, I kind of know who the names are going to be at the top, David. And I feel like I even know who the names like a Jung Chin Wen or like a Linda Noskova might be in the future to break into that list. Yeah. So a couple of things, actually a lot of things, but I'll try to keep it free. First off, I what you got to do. It's you're back after, after the U S open for me, most of the results are irrelevant. So I, you know, I know that uh, Kinwen uh, had a bunch of success. At, for me, a lot of the players are burnt out. They are ready for the season to be over. I don't take much stock into that. Uh, we saw what happened with FAA last year. Everyone made all these uh, Felix Auger. I'm going to uh, FAA. Uh, so I don't butcher the last name. Um, he got a lot of expectations after, you know, after Paris, after Basel. Um, I believe it was Basel and not Vienna that he won last year, but, um, and then he totally fell on his face. I don't think you can put that much, uh, stock into it. Um, which I made the mistake of doing with the first person I'm going to talk about on my list. Uh, and I'm not going to do that again. 
say in terms of the top of the game, I think you have a very, a very like a tip top with Sabalenka and an Iga. And then you have your Goffs and your, I'll give Goff credit. We haven't been on since the U S open. <laughs> I actually did not think, I thought she played significantly better in Cincinnati than she did at the U S open. I think she got extraordinarily lucky that Astapenko beat uh, Iga. She still won it, even playing her B minus game. So kudos to her. Um, she did win a major though, her and Bondrusova. So for me, you the reason I'm bringing all this up is because you put Pagula in that list. For me, and I've had this debate on Twitter a lot recently. If you're not doing it in the majors, that's the most important time in the sport for me. I, you know, and for me, she has not been able to break through at all, like even get to a major semifinal. And so for me, she is well below the rest of the names that you mentioned. And for me, she's even below players like Jabor and Mukova. Um, yeah, but and- okay, that might be true. And by the way, feel free to interrupt me if you disagree moving forward because I'm going to interrupt you here. Where that – you might – where Pagula stands in the hierarchy is irrelevant to the fact that there is just a hierarchy now. And like, fine, if you want to put Mukova and Jabur above her because of their slam success, that's a separate argument. But like – that is a clear hierarchy of you can get to nine, ten names pretty firmly before, you know, now it starts to be like, okay, are you picking Benchich or Haddad Maya on a given week? What's your Kuder Matova versus Kasatkina stance? I'm saying that top eight has consolidated in a way that even beyond, like, I appreciate looking at the nuances of the names, but in the biggest picture sense, like, those are going to be the names for three to five years. They're all young the and they're all good. Are you just for me the current top eight, not the top yeah. eight at the World Tour Finals? Because well, I don't the top eight think, at the World Tour Finals includes Muhova and Jabur and Van Drusva and all these players who may uh, have withdrawn due to injury. But I'm saying, yeah, like I'm not that. including. I wanted, I, I want to just put out there, I am not including Maria Sakari on that list. It's fair enough. That is what I'm trying to say. <laughs> okay, fair enough. But I guess that you have such a clear tier, and they're all pretty young. Like they're all yeah. younger than thirty. Like again, they're. Iga's won a slam, Rabakina's won a slam, Von Trusova's won a slam, Coco's won a slam, Sabalenka's won a slam. Like all these players have done some things now that just position them obviously very well moving forward. I also think again, like Kasakina, Kudermatova, they're gonna be in the top twenty mix. Like you kinda know you're getting those names moving forward. They've been there now a solid three year run, I think. I mean, it's different because Bench is just going to be out next season as she's having her first kid. A shout out to her. But like, I just think because I remember when she was just like, you know what I mean? Are you kidding? I remember she's number one junior in the world. Like I'm still her and Zvira have had like a generational 2013, which is like when I'm 18 years old. And so, yeah, you remember those years pretty firmly. Humberg, right? He's been with Zvira Humberg 2013. He lost a W (laughs) in the uh, quarters or semis. The real people know Junior Slam when he beat Kozlov in a uh, (laughs) when he beat Kozlov. That's that's the one that sticks with me. Anyways. I guess I'm just saying I feel pretty confident about the WTA hierarchy moving forward. And so that is where, in terms of confusion, like I do have some questions. I guess as I'm focusing my list, I was looking at players who can disrupt that hierarchy or whose place in that hierarchy am I least certain about moving forward. That's kind of how I constructed my list. What was your thinking? My thinking was – not to have all top players, don't have all bo- bo- closer to 100, kind of spread it out. But I do have questions about 
one of the players that we mentioned on that list. And I also, and I, I just have, for me, I also was looking more at like potential, a potential for some of the lower ranked players. So like some of the players that, you know, have shown flashes of where they could be really good, but I have questions about whether they can sustain it at the WTA tour level. Um, and so that was, um, how I, I would say three of my five names and then two of the five are like players that have been towards the top of the game, but are they taking the next step? Fascinating. Then I think we approach this a little differently and that's, what's going to make this conversation very fun. So I'm going to let you start first, wherever you want to start on your list. Give me your number one confounding all-star uh, or your first, excuse me, confounding all-star of the 2023 WTA season. I'll build up the suspense. I'll go bottom to top. I like uh, in terms of ranking. Um, my first one is, and I talked about her on Twitter the other day, Diana Sch- Schneider Schneider. Had a- Schneider. Schneider. Diana Schneider. Here's why. I'm, we saw at the end, she's world number 94. This is fascinating. I just want to say right away, not to interrupt you, love the pick. Welcome back. Uh, love the pick. Yeah, Go ahead. You, not you on my list. Throw in- yeah, not on my list. So I like it right away. Okay. She has a strong forehand, a huge first serve, easy. You've watched her a ton. You know, she's a college tennis player. Strong for, but for those who haven't, strong forehand, huge serve, easy power. She can take the racket out of your hands. She won last season four titles, including um, the Montevideo 100K, which is kind of like her coming out tournament at the WTA level. Um, and then early this season, she qualifies and she makes the second round of the Australian Open without losing a set and was very close to beating Maria Sakkari in that second round match. However, and there, is a, there was going to be a but. She's, as a whole, this season, she's 25 and 22. Um, and she did reach the final of the, again, she reached the final of the Ningbo uh, WTA tournament and beating Kvitova in the process. But again, like I said before, I don't take much... Uh, I don't take any really any stock into results like that. Um, and, and that was only the only final she made all ter- all season at any level, including the ITFs. That was the only final she made um, at the I don't know about college, uh, but in terms of WTA uh, and ITF. Um, however, as we kind of saw, and this is what got me really thinking about her in Florianapolis um, a week or two ago, when she played Monet, um, when you're able to defend and counterpunch at a decent level, she really has limited rally tolerance. Um, her fitness is not great. Um, and honestly, compared to where she was last year at this time, I am not really noticing many improvements. Um, there's not a lot of development um, with her game. She has spectacular, you know, winners that she can hit at any point at any position on the court, but they're still intermixed with just terrible errors. And she kind of goes in and out of matches. So for me, kind of, this is one of the three of the five that I'm thinking, is she going to take the next step? I just don't, I have not seen enough development over the past year where I'm confident in her taking the next step. And I think in 2020. Four, cannot believe we're already saying 2024. I'm curious if she does take those next steps. And if she's, because like I said, she had four titles last year. She has none this year. And that, and I know she's playing some college tennis, but she's still played plenty of pro tournaments as well. 
Yeah, I just couldn't disagree with you more, which is a great place for us to start because okay, you look good, for Schneider good. turning 20 next April, so finishes the year as one of, I believe, six teenagers inside the top 100 of the WTA rankings. Those six teenagers, Coco Goff, Naskova, Mira Andreeva, Ashlyn Kruger, Linda Fruvertova, Diana Schneider. It's a good list to find yourself on right off the bat. You consider that she also missed four months out of the season in NC State, playing college tennis. Now, yes, there were some Charleston events worked in during that college schedule, but it was a college year where she was unequivocally the best player by the end of it. And again, why didn't she play the NCAA singles tournament is because she was off to go play the French Open, where she was in the main draw of. And she had no titles this year, not because she wasn't having success at events because she was playing the highest level events right away coming off of the college tennis world. You know, it's not as though she was going to play 60 K's in various parts of the world, even 125 K's. She's played what? One, two, three, 125 K's, excuse me, four since leaving college. No, she was off to go play tour level events right away, David, where she made semifinals on clay in Hamburg. She made finals on a different surface, hard courts in Asia, beating a Kvitova, beating a Fruvertova, who that week had finally found some form uh, and had a little bit of momentum going that she semi-final later on in Nunchung in the month. Like, I know you say everything after the U.S. Open doesn't matter, but for a player who, in her career at the tour level, has now played a grand total of 42 matches, you know, she's 23-19 and 19 in her career in tour-level matches, 22-17 and 17 at the tour level this year. Now, that does include some qualifying results, but how could you say for a 19-year-old teenager that's not an unequivocal success. And what I would flip on you is I understand your concerns about the consistency. She's 19. Like that is the thing that has developed most over the course of the career, the thing you can't fake. And this is where I've started to change my perspective as I've covered the game more and more over my years is just the weapons are unequivocal, David. Like the way she can cannon a forehand, the way she can line drive a backhand, the way she moves forward aggressively. The serve is a major work in progress, which again, you can say about just about every 19-year-old who's ever played tennis ever. Yeah, I agree with you completely there. But A, this is someone who, and I know a little bit about the development, who's all, like, why did she come to college? For many a reasons. One of them was because she just hadn't played hard court tennis in her career. Mm -hmm. It had all been clay court centric. And for her to not only have success at the college level, but to then go have tour level success and have that tour level success on hard courts. Like for me, I, if your framing of the question is, can she make a top 25 jump next season? That I agree. I'm not sure if it'll come that immediately. Do I think she's a top 100 player moving forward in her career? I absolutely do. And to say that about a 19-year-old is why I would say she didn't end up on my list. Because I'm like, she's going to be good moving forward. Your fit, Her fitness doesn't worry you? No, because I know her work ethic and the team she works with. And I see the first step. Like, she's a little slow in and out of corners. But the anticipation is there. And just, like, the hand skills are so exceptional. She's strong, too. I guess for I just don't see improvement compared to last year at this time. I thought she played much better at this point last year than she is. But maybe. But then again, I didn't watch every match of hers in the middle of the night in Ningbo. So like yeah, I, I can't, you know what I mean? It's hard. You know, I you know, I, the time zone was so bad in Nanchang and Ningbo, Ningbo. I didn't, you know, 
I didn't get to see it all. So, so, so for you, next year is a winning year for her finishing in the top 100 again. Like, is that considered a success in your mind, or do you need to see her make another step forward? It depends what her goals in the sport are. I think for her, you know, for, well, she's 19, and so it's still like a team. I would say top 75 would be a success. Okay, I, I think that's fair. By the way, I don't. You want to see? Unfair. You want to see development, right? Like, yeah. you don't want to stagnate. 19. You know, 29, 16. I think, I think 75 is a good number, too, because still 19 turning 20 years old. But it'll be her first full pro season. No yeah. college. Like, it's again, you're on the road. So there, I'm sure there will be a six-week slump where it's like a one-in-six record or two-in-six yeah. record. But, yeah, that I think sustain top 75 feels appropriate for Schneider moving forward. Mm-hmm. All right, I'm going to do two in a row. So I want to ask you next. Give me number two on your list as well. Okay. And we're going to go a little faster through these okay. moving forward, I promise. Uh, we're, it's. Uh, and this one's pretty obvious, but I, I felt like this was the last one I put down on my list. But I was like, I kind of have to have it on my list. Uh, have her on my list. Um, is world number 85, Alicia Parks. Um, and about where she's going to – which version of Alicia are we going to get in 2024 20, and beyond? So, all right, let's go. Let's break it down. Um, so she, as y'all might remember, it was a long, it was a long time ago. If Feels like forever ago, but in February she won the WTA title over uh, Caroline Garcia. Caroline, uh, I still remember that. <laughs> Caroline in Garcia in Lyon, um, and this was coming after after late last season. Again, we don't. I shouldn't put much stock into it, but she looked fantastic in Andorra and Angers last season in those indoor hard courts, and she was able to bring. And the reason I mention it is because she was able to bring that momentum into Lyon. Um, at the beginning of the year. Um, and then her other notable result this season was the fact that in Madrid, she blew uh, Shmidlova and Azarenka off, off the court in the altitude. Um, however, outside of Lyon, she went 8-22 and 22 in main draw action above the uh, WTA 125K level. She has a big serve, huge ground strokes, first strike tennis, but she's such low margin that unless... She gets hot in her ideal conditions, which are either altitude, uh, which or indoors, and even in altitude, as we saw against Jabor in Guadalajara late in the season, when she doesn't, you know, when the when she's not able to control her her ground strokes, the ball just flies on her. Um, and the fact that she's world number eighty five with a WTA tour title that shows a lack of consistency for a full 2023 resume um and so my big question with her is is she going to become more consistent and you know which way i don't think her rank i don't like i would say for me i'd be more surprised if she was top 50 after 2020 after 2024 than if she was uh top than if she was below out of the top 150 and so i'm just curious i'm very curious which version of Alicia we, we're going to get in 2024? When I was looking at the rankings coming up with my list, I went by Alicia Parks, and I immediately thought to myself, oh, no, David's going to have her on her list, so I don't need uh, – on his list, so I don't have to worry about it. And you laid out a fascinating case, and I have nothing to dispute about anything you said. In fact, I agree with everything you said except for this. I'm okay. currently wearing a Greater Midland Tennis Center uh, mm-hmm. quarter zip, which I was thankful and very grateful to receive after serving as MC of the event this past year. And in the course of that event, I got to watch Parks make the semifinals. Mm-hmm. And in person, 
watching Alicia Parks. She just has it, David. I don't indoor. know how else to like, – I sure, you're right. It was indoor hard courts, which are clearly her preferred surface right now because when things are fast and she is in control with that first serve, boy, do things look excellent. But, man, she can just hit a gear, David. And even in the match she lost against Kalinskaya, 6-3 in the third, it was just played at her speed, at her yeah. tempo. And, again, she's been very open. I've modeled my game after Serena. The technique, very clear that that's the case. I'm not saying she's going to have Serena-level results. To put that burden on anyone would be crazy. But there's just a speed. I like. It's just it, – like, I agree. She's not confounding to me because the consistency is just not there yet. She is fascinating to me. Like She's on my 2023 WTA fascinating all-stars. I'm not confused about it because it's sustaining that top level – but David, the top level. I know, but isn't that the confusing part? Is like why you know it's no, I don't, she, maybe not confusing. It's because it's she's fun. so aggressive. It's just like it's hard to sustain that aggression consistently. If it was easy, everyone would be Petra Kvitova. Do you, do you think to rise up the rankings, she needs to take away some of that power, or in order to to higher her margins? Because take away the power, no develop a plan B, C, get a little bit better at playing defense. But then she brings out the slices, David, and you're just like, ooh, like, what's this? And it's but, just, but yeah. Like I said, 8 and 22 in major. No, it was bad. It was really bad. Like, again, I, I wanted to point out, I started out by saying that yeah. I agree with everything yeah, you said. Yeah. I know. But in person, David, I'm just telling you, like I'm still if if the question is, am I buying or selling stuff, buy, sell or hold of Alicia Parks, which, by the way, buy, sell, hold will be a part of Nerd Week at some point. Um, good. I think I'm still buying stock because, again, reached a high of 40 earlier in the year, ends at 85. Her ELO ranking is 122. I think the ELO is probably the most accurate as a barometer of what she accomplished mm-hmm. this season. But the career high is accurate. Like there were times this year when she played top forty tennis, and you in see her it. Ideal conditions, though. Yeah, and okay. There are other people who are in their ideal conditions who did not display that level, and it's just like, I guess again, I'm not confused. Yeah, I'm yeah. just looking for further progress, and so what's this? Go ahead. I'll I'll just say I'm gonna hold on, hold stock on Schneider, yeah. and I'll sell on. All right. Interesting. Well, those are your first two names. I want to get into my – I have three tier one names. I divided it by tier again. Tier one is straight up most fascinating. Tier two are recurring guests in this sort of exercise. Mm -hmm. I'll allow you to pick one of them when we get there. Tier three is just a laundry list of names who I'm world nerd out on. I've got two of them that we'll talk about. Let's start though – so one of my tier one names we'll get to at the end very quickly because I've talked about her on other podcasts recently. These other two names we have not. And I want to start my most fascinating list. Again, a tier one player, a player still in her early 20s, but a player who I come out of this season just, again, in terms of disruption of the hierarchy. Do I still believe this player has the capability of doing that? I'm not entirely sure and that player is 22-year-old Anastasia Potapova, who ends the Ooh. year at number 28 Ooh, overall on the season. And I just think she had a fascinating year, David, because obviously her sunshine swing, that run from like February to the end of April, it was outstanding. 
I mean, you win a title in Linz. You quarterfinal Miami. You beat Goff. You beat Konstruk. You beat Chin Wen. You semifinal Stuttgart. You beat Goff again. You beat Garcia. You get knocked out by Sabalenka in the semis. Like, that's a hell of a run. Even all the way through to her making probably semifinals of Birmingham. But... Again, then things got weird. Really tough North America for Injured, her. right? Now, yeah, again, there were some injuries, certainly. And, you know, again, it's just like looking at the record superficially, 30 and 21 overall. Feels pretty good. She was 12 and 12 against the top 50. That's fine. 4-9 against the top 20, not great, but weren't a ton of players who hit double-digit wins or even eight wins against top 20 opponents this season amongst top 50 players on the WTA Tour. Like, I don't know. I I just, she has weapons. There's no doubt about that. When she has time to pancake through the ball from the baseline, like it is line drive tennis at its finest. She moves well. Not exceptionally fluid, maybe in the way of Andrusova or a Goff or an Iga is, but I wouldn't. Movement will never be a problem for Potapova. Right. She's top fifteen in break percentage, and for what it's worth, you look at her from a serving perspective. Like things have somewhat improved over the past few seasons but you know again she's still under 60 percent in a first serve percentage she's holding less than 65 percent of the time which is a bottom 10 number amongst top 50 players on the wta tour i test versus numbers like the eye test says i see a top 15 ceiling there ceiling. the numbers That's dis- a yeah the numbers disagree like the numbers say i don't know if she's going to be a top 15 player I've gone back and forth and, and I've had my eye on Potapova ever since the Moscow River Cup in 2018. Um, she was our top junior in the world, by the way, right, too. Right, right. And so for me, she just plays kind of, kind of similar to Parks, very low margin tennis, I think, where when when it's on, like it was in uh, Stuttgart when she was beating Caroline Garcia and Coco Goff and Petra Martic, who's always tough on clay. It's on. And then you saw in, I believe it was the semifinals against Sabalenka, when it's off, she loses one and two. Uh, and so, you know, it's hard to say like around the time of the U.S. Open, because I do think that she was definitely carrying some form of an injury. I think an ankle injury, something along those lines. Um, and, you know, I don't also, like I said, post U.S. Open, she did beat Ons Jabor. That was one of the worst matches quality wise of the season. So <laughs> I don't really put much stock into that. Um even more so than usual. I think though, she has, like you said, top 15 ceiling um, because similar to what you were saying, about Alicia Parks, when it's on, when she is firing forehands and she is, you know, I do agree. Her movement is not an issue at all, but she also has just easy raw power. And when it's clicking, it is clicking. And we saw it also in Miami um, when she beat Goff again, or she, for the first time, she beat Kinwin Zhang. She probably should have beat Jessica Pagula. When it is, when she's firing, it's great. Um, and so I am curious to see how does it go in 2024? Because I'm this is another one I want to hold. I want to hold the stock on, on her because I think that she has the chance to jump up the rankings, but if it's all clicking, but she's just too inconsistent for me to figuratively bet on her to do so. Well, um, not to toot my own horn. Oh, sorry. Were you? No, 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 go ahead. 
not to toot my own horn, but you just sound way more confounded by her than you did either Schneider or Parks. Just let the record show. Like, I feel like I'm winning in our all-star race. Well, because I don't have notes on her. (laughs) (laughs) I have notes on the other. I I have notes on the other one. You're more prepared on the others. You know what? That's fair. We'll We'll let the people decide whose list is better. You can tweet at us respectively at A.L. Gruskin at uh, tennis blogger one. Yeah, here's the thing. Like you talk about the inconsistency. I also think there's inconsistency in game style. And what's different about Potapova than Schneider and Parks is, yeah, Potapova plays low margin at times when she's really swinging freely. But I've seen her play defense, like in those Pagula Sunshine swing matches or even on clay courts where she moves really well. Like she is not afraid to hit that high and heavy backhand with topspin to try and buy herself time or even do the same thing on the forehand wing. I think she passes pretty well when stretched in the outer thirds and like, again, a fluid athlete in and out of the corners who, yeah, can get pressured by pace, especially to that forehand wing. But I mentioned the four and nine top 20 record. She was four and four against top 10 opponents this year. Did play those two, three setters with Pagula, as you alluded to. I don't, I like, I don't take any stock in that Jabor win. So for me. Yeah, to, fair, but 28 in the world. Like, I guess next year, does she end higher or lower than that in your mind? God, put me, I'd say higher. If I had to, if I had to guess. I would too because the skills are just there. And again, I think she does A, B, C, D, and E well, and it's just figuring out when to do all of those things. And I like to think that comes with experience. You mentioned the injuries again, 30 and 21 overall in the year. She's confounding player number one because I think she could be a top 15 player for just like the rest of the decade and just Mm -hmm. in the mix because her game translates across surfaces. That's another thing we learned this season. Stuttgart, Sunshine Swing. Birmingham semifinal, Wimbledon third round. Like, it works everywhere. You can say the exact same thing about 21-year-old Marta Kostyuk, who is the second of my three Ooh, tier one players and is another next up on one. my list. I take a lot of time, a lot of pride in my list, uh, DG, as you know, over the years. I keep wanting to call you DK. A lot of Davids in my life on this show. <laughs> like, Kostyuk. You can oh. call me <laughs> I like that. No, I... I'm going to stick with DG. That's just, yeah. just more my speed. Look, That's by like every people call me. Yeah, by every measurement, this was Kostyuk's best season of her career. Most wins at the tour level, 24. Doesn't feel that way, though. I, so first tour level title in Austin, like, I couldn't agree with you more. It doesn't feel that way, though. And, you know, even by percentages, 35% break percentage this year, that was uh, a 1.1% better than last year. Career high, 65.8 hold percentage this year. Still outside the top 25, but better at uh, career high again for her in tour-level matches. This was statistically best year of her career, 27 and 23 overall across levels when you include Billie Jean King Cup and qualifying, et cetera. Again, won her first tour-level title. Third round Wimbledon beat Sakari, uh Bedosa there before getting knocked out by Madison Keys. Third round Australian Open before she lost to Pagula. And yet, like it just feels like there's more meat on the bone in terms of things for Marta Kostyuk to accomplish. And again, she feels like one of the older 21-year-olds we have in tour histories because she was so good right away and was a top-ranked junior. Again, 4-11 and against top 20 opponents this year, 3-6 and against the top 10. Now, for what it's worth, she won three of her last four wins over Sakari, Garcia, and Jabur. A loss to Rabakan at the U.S. Open where, let's be clear, she got absolutely blitzed. 
And yet when I watch Marta Kostyuk, like the only difference between her and Bianca Andreescu is that Andreescu already won a U.S. Open. Like I honestly mm-hmm. see that same sort of gift, that physicality combined with shot making combined with like there is oh, nothing on a court Marta so, Kostyuk can do. Okay, good. Why Why am I you wrong? I think that her shot, her like her shot making is as good as she has the variety that Andreescu Andreescu has. Maybe not quite there, but like the streakiness, consistency. I do think it's there for Kostyuk at times. Like there are times when I watch Marta. Okay, why am I wrong? Like where are you with her? Just give me your assessment. For me, she is below Potapova in my mind. I just don't. First off, she's I think way too inconsistent. I think that her the difference between her forehand and her backhand is too big. Um, I think that. She does not get enough out of her serve. I don't think she defends as well as a Potapova. I don't think that she counterpunches as well as a Potapova. And I don't, I just, I, if you're asking me, you know, who has the higher upside between Potapova and Kostyuk, which you're not, but I'm just going to make it seem like no, you are. No, please uh, answer. I would say Potapova a hundred times out of a hundred. I think that her game's just more fluid than the Kostyuk. I think that she has better variety. I think that, I just think she's faster. I think she's just a much better. I think just she, I don't think Kostyuk is nearly as complete of a player. I, I disagree I mean, I agree, Potapova, there's a little more oomph, the chutzpah, and how she hits those line drives through the court. But Kostya can do that in a more dynamic way. Like, there's that's the word that comes to mind when I think of Kostya, it's just dynamic. Like, hmm. she's a good athlete. She's powerful. She's better in those corners than you think, DK, uh, DG. She'll throw up the lobs. She'll throw up... Like, she can just do things. I just, I don't know. And she remains, and again, only 21. Like, that's the other part you throw in is she's still really, really young, even though she's north of 100 career matches now. Like, I don't know. I, I just feel like 39 in the rankings is too low for, for her. Like, I just think there will be a moment when she is at the very worst 12 in the world. Like, she will have a season where she competes for a tour final spot. I I think that her current ranking... Is perfect. Okay. Fair um, enough. But, you know, I, I the, the next person on my list, I think, is a little overranked. Um, Who? Give me the name. Oh, let's, let's go. Uh, you want me to go? Or you want to go again? Yeah. No, please. Yeah, three, Give me right? the name. No, I had two. Well, the third name is Madison Keys, yeah. but I've done a lot on Madison Keys recently. And why she's confounding is like, I still see it. There's still, like, that Pagula match. Yeah. That's maybe as well as anyone played in a single match all year long, where it was just like, oh my God, she's just, yeah. you're not she beating her today. In- she would have probably won the U.S. Open if she beat Sabalenka. Well, which just gets back to like, again, like she of anyone maybe in the game who hasn't won the slam has shown a level of like, okay, but my best can beat anyone on the right day. That's why she's so confounding to me because I'm like, how are we still here? I'm like, you're 28. And yet she kind of has perfected peaking when she needs to peak. Anyways, I've talked about her a lot recently. If you have anything, please feel free. But I did not include her on my list of five. Oh. Well, Keys, the thing is, it's with Keys, she doesn't nest. Well, she peaks maybe not. I wouldn't say it de- depends what you mean when, because she, she certainly didn't peak in the 2017, 2018, US, 2017, I believe, US Open final. She did the opposite of peaking. Um, she, you know what I mean? And so she does peak, maybe not at the right times, but she does when she's peaking. She, She's nearly unbeatable. The only other name that came up that, that hasn't won a slam that can maybe reach her level in a totally different way is on Shabar. Um, or Carolina Pliskova, but that was a decade ago. Yeah, that's 
that ages me. Uh, that ages me. Don't say that. Um, you and me both, my friend. Are you kidding? Uh, Gil Gross the other day goes, Nicholas Yari, you know, he's pretty old. Nicholas Yari's five days younger than me. I was furious. Oh. I, almost, I almost fought Gil. Now it's like, my God, the next gen's like, you know, when, when we were first, you know, the next gen for like the like, you know, Coco Goffs of the world, you know, no, crazy. anyways, um, yeah. all that said, pick number okay. three, we're going to, and we're spending three minutes on each of our remaining. Okay. Games. Well, I don't know. Cause this, maybe I should not have done another college tennis or former college tennis player. I'm, yeah, I'm sure you're going to disagree with this one, but I, but I have to, because I've been thinking this for a long time. Okay. Uh, we're, and this is just someone who I think is overranked. Um, and I don't think is going to have the long-term success necessarily. I think she has a high floor. I think she has a low ceiling. Okay. So keep in mind. Emma Navarro for sure. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Uh, world number 32, Emma Navarro. I think she has a very high floor. However, um, I don't necessarily think she can go toe to toe with PowerPoints. I know she beat Madison Keys recently or fairly recently. That was a bad, but like when I watched her against Keys in Charleston, I watched her against Danilovich in Bastide. Um, again, I watched her against Kinwin Zhang in Palermo. I watched all these, you know, and then she lost to Sasnovich in Cleveland. Um, she struggles against power players, and I don't know. I think she's very consistent. I think she has a heavy forehand, but I don't see the power. And I think her back on the forehand, and I think, and I end the first serve, and I don't think the backhand super reliable. With that said, she is 64 and 24 this season. She's won five ITF titles, including two 100Ks and a 60K. Um, she's best on clay, 37 and 11 with four titles, which is understandable given the heaviness of her forehand. Um, and just, I maybe just the fact that she grew up playing that Charleston event, like uh, the Charleston green clay, it feels like. Um, but I, she, I do think she can make it on the WTA tour. But I'm just not sure. I'm not sure she should be seated at slams. And I'm curious if she can make the jump so that I feel better, you know, so that she can actually, I think, contend for not. I, I think she can dominate the ITF tour, but I don't think her game necessarily. And I know she went pretty far and bad at Humburg, like on grass. But I watched that. The level in that tournament was not great. Um, and I just don't know if she has the power, if she has the backhand to make that leap to, like, be a top 20 player that's contending for slams and contending for the WTA finals. I'm actually very curious. What do you think? I did a whole thing on Emma Navarro in our State of the Union American Women's podcast with Ben Rothenberg's fellow Wolverine, Go Blue. And so if you want to hear the extended you know my thoughts, thoughts on go him. check out uh, Yeah, if you want to hear the extended thoughts on Navarro, go check out that show. Eighteen months she was ago, she was playing college tennis, and now she's a top fifty player in the world. To do that so quickly speaks to the fact that Emma Navarro is going to maximize her talent. And there's a smoothness to her game. The technique is so easy. Her ability to absorb redirect pace when she has time to get her hands on the ball, like she has no problem with the actual playing of the tennis. How gifted is she athletically is a real question to ask. And I've seen a huge jump already in her movement from her final year in college to 18 months on the pro tour. I think there's still muscle to be added. I don't have any concerns with her backhand. But yes, the second serve, like any second serve, can be picked on. I'm just very confident she's going to maximize her talent. Now, how much higher is it than 25 in the world? I don't know. I think like a career high of 17, 18 yeah. probably sounds about right. But I think she's been top 50 for a long time. Do you think, though, her ranking right now is 
A lot of it's based on these like ITFs. 35 or something. Well, it's a lot of it's based on the ITF. So when yeah. she transitions to the WTA tour, you don't think her ranking's going to go down a little bit. She had a good grass court results, San Diego. She had some clay court results as well. Down a little bit, maybe. Outside the top 50, no. I think she ends next year no lower than 52 in the rankings. Interesting. 52? Yeah. That's just interesting. You know, I like to get specific on you. All right, give me your next name. Uh, wait, you know, okay, I'll, I'll give another. Okay, now we're making the jump to top 10. Uh, right. You ready to make the leap? Do it for me. Okay. Um, so this one is the one I was like, I got to put her on. Uh, number nine, world number nine, Maria Sakari. Um, and the reason I have questions is because can she, can she ever win a slam? And was Guadalajara the next step towards her ascent? You know, now that she kind of got that monkey off her back. Or was it just what I think the product of a bad field, um, just a horrendous field? Um, and so Guadalajara was her only uh, title that year of the season. She was only and she only went four and six since Guadalajara, which I know most of it's irrelevant. But she, the relevant part is she went 0 and three at the WTA finals. And for almost for everything but two sets of it, she looked horrific. Um the two sets against Rabakina, if I'm remembering correctly, um, she looked terrific. Um, and so for me, I just don't. But the question to be asked, though, was she did win a WT Masters 1000 event in Guadalajara. So my question is, is does she build on that in 2024 or does she just slink back to where she was? My guess is she slinks back to where she was. Um, however, I think it's a it's a worthy question to be asked. I think it's a fascinating question to be asked, and that's the theme of tier number two to me is players like Sakari, who you just have to ask yourself, what's left at this point? And again, we talked about a bunch of them in my next-gen show with David Kane last Friday, so I'll try not to step on myself too much here. But Sakari, I agree with everything you said. She's clearly one of the 12 best players in the world. It's how consistently can she – I mean, continues to make quarters, continues to make semis. Yeah. It's in those matches where, again, it's clearly a top 10 hurdle for her to climb, and yet – there's an underlying physicality. When you don't have a weapon to throw her off, she can overwhelm you now with the serve forehand. She's just developed it so well throughout the course of her career as a when dominant combo. When she's not combo. overhitting in the forehand, though. Fair, but again, you have to kind of force her to overhit it. Like a lesser player, if you're not threatening her, she'll find her rhythm eventually. Her, I think Ludmilla Samsonova belongs in this category. It's like, give me six consistent months. Not like three hardcourt, then a wall, then a month of grass courts, then a lull, then really good. No, give me six straight, and I think she can be one of the 10 best players in the world. I think Ostapenko actually had her best season since 2017 this year, and again, you saw the ceiling in the Sviantec match. She's the oldest 26- or 7-year-old we have maybe in pro tennis history. I think she's 26, which is crazy to say out loud, but it's like she's still yeah. just 26. Why couldn't it all click? Krachikova as well who showed a lot of flashes this year. Like, I think all four of those players, Sakari, Samsonova, Ostapenko, Krachikova, are in that confounding category of, like, is there a little more left? Can they re-break into that upper-tier echelon that they've all flirted with at various points? Is Sakari the most interesting name on that list for you? Probably, probably, yeah. I yeah. think for me, though, I just thought after Guadalajara, she was talking Talking, oh, the haters can hate, whatever, uh, about Twitter. You know, her and Goff love going off on the Twitter people. Um, 
But then just you think like she's got over the mental hump, hump, like she is there. And then you see her melting down on the side of the road at the, at the side of the court at the WTA finals. And you're like, oh, no, it must just have been the fact that she got to play Caroline. Carol, I'm not going to now it's Caroline Dolahide <laughs> um, in the final of a freaking Masters 1000. And she, she just kind of lucked out. Um, and so. I am curious, though, I in terms of who do I think you said Samson, Samsonova, you said Krejcikova, uh, Sakari, who was the last name? Uh, Ostapenko. Who do I think has the greatest chance to win a slam in 2020? In Samsonova, yeah. No, no. I'm going to say, I'm going to say, uh, it's either Ostapenko or Krejcikova. I didn't. Right. But, but Fair enough. Interesting. They, you think it's Samsonova? Uh, yeah. Uh, next year? Probably Ostapenko. I probably agree with you there. The thing is with Ostapenko, you get a match like Sviantec, then you get a match like Goff, and it's like, oh, so that's why you can't ever trust her to win a major again is because you're going to get a match like the Goff match. Yeah, that – well, again, it's – look, it's fascinating. Like, it, you also got a Sviantec match. Like, what if you don't? Well, I've seen her play five really good matches consecutively. I've seen her have, yeah. like, a Wimbledon run-up and then a good first week of Wimbledon, but then she hits that second-week hump. Like, I've just seen a ceiling from her. But again, some have asked, if we've seen that ceiling from her before, why haven't we seen her win another slam since her first? And I think that's a very valid question to ask. And again, it's why I have all these players on my most confounding all-stars, David. Um, all right, give me your last pick. This one's this one. Who do you think is the last one? This one should be pretty. I don't know. We've gone through a lot of good names. It's number world number five, Jessica Pagula, who we kind of started the podcast with. And for me, the questions are, can she ever win a slam? Is she slam worthy? Um, let's be honest. She has not even reached a major for world number five. It's pretty shocking. She's never reached a slam quarterfinal um, and during, I'm uh, sorry, semifinal. Um, however, you know, and besides the, what uh, she probably, the match that will, if she never wins a slam, the match that will always live in her memory is the Vondrusova match, where I believe she was uh, in the quarterfinals of Wimbledon this year, where she was, I believe, 4-1, 30-40, serving up uh, in the third set, if I'm remembering correctly. Um but typically in these big matches, so that's what the, that's kind of an outlier because typically in these big statement matches where you really think she's going to make the next step, she plays terribly. Um, we saw it in the WTA finals this year in the final against Sriantec where she dominated the match. And she, I mean, she dominated. The, she was the best player, I thought, all tournament and then looked pathetic in the final. Um Mentally out of it. Uh, quarterfinals of the Australian Open this year against Azarenka, 4 6 1 6. Um, and you're giving me a, you do not agree oh, with it's that. It's a terrible take, but uh, I don't want to interrupt you. Fourth round of the US Open, 1 3 1 6 3 6 to Keys. I know Madison played well, Pagula, but that's the thing though, and that's kind of the point is that. Pagula at her best is not beating a lot of these other top players at their best because she does not have the big weapons necessary to uh, have that success at the end stages of majors. Um, and I don't think she has the, you know, and, and, you know, kind of what I was touching on before, I don't think mentally she has the mindset uh, at the end of these big, big, you know, the biggest events in the sport that um, 
I've seen her fail too many times in these big moments. Um, except for when she won Canada this year, except for when, to your point, she goes undefeated without dropping a set on the way to those two or finals, despite the fact that she has probably been outside of Iga, the most consistent players for the last two years at the big events. You know she's at, getting well, to not the final the eight. I mean, again, like, I have no questions about Jessica Fagula. She's one of the 10 best players in the world. Like, there's no doubt about it. If your question is, can she win a slam? Like, I can't knock you for that being your biggest question because I guess who wins the slams is often the biggest question on the minds of most tennis fans. But, like, I know exactly who Jessica Pagula is. She's someone who continues to progress, who really doesn't have any holes in her game. Like, do I think her ceiling, match in, match out, is as high as an Iga, a Sabalenka, a Rabakina? I don't. But they better play their ceiling. Otherwise, as we saw this year, Pagula can straight up beat them. Right, but when they— but when they do play their ceiling, there's nothing Pagula can do about it. But that that's, happens. That's oh, like, whole, okay. That's the but whole you have to play. The okay, but power. where I guess I disagree is if the hole in your game is someone has to play their absolute best, the way Madison Keys did at the U.S. Open to beat you, on that day you tip your cap and you say, you know what? You were the best de- tennis player in the world today. Like, that's what it takes to beat Jessica Pagula. Well, that's what she's proven clay. for three years now. Off of clay. On clay, she's not great. Um, fair. Okay, but not great is like she's still one of the 20 best players in the world now, instead of one of the seven. You think that she was at her best in that Wimbledon quarterfinal against Ben Jerseva? Or you thought that I, Ben Jerseva was at her best? Because I, I did. mean, like, sure, there are moments that you can pick on for any player, though, throughout the course of a calendar. Like, I think more broadly, I feel confident that Jessica Pagula is going to make at least the final half of the round, like the end stages of every big event that she plays. And she's one of maybe four players I can say that about. You're including the majors. Include, yes, even including the majors. I still feel very certain she's going to get to week. At the majors, at least week number two. At the big events, at least quarterfinals or further. In every one, you said. Yeah, because that's what she does. Like, well, not at the French Canada, but. Canada, and yeah, but when you look back at swing, when you look at when you look back at players' careers, you're not looking at Canada. You're looking at. You know, I mean, again, you know, this is a fundamental disagreement. To... Where it's like, if you are one of the six best players in the world for five years consecutively, which Pagula has done now three straight years, like mm-hmm. she's on pace to be one of the six best players in the world for the majority of her prime. What the f- more can you ask for? Well, you know, Aga Radwanska was always in that uh, area too. But when we look back on her career, at least when I look back on her career, I think of the 2013 semifinal against Lisicki in Wimbledon. And I look at the 2012 Wimbledon final against uh, yeah. against Serena. When That's... careers are based usually around majors. And, and Radwanska won the WTA finals. No one cares yeah. because she didn't win a major. I say that, but I that's f-ing crazy. Like, I just don't think those standards are fair for any player to live up to. Regard, like, again, if you asked 99.85% of pro players right now, would you take Jessica Pagula's career over yours? They would all say yes. Like, Iga says no. Sabalenka says no. Radicanu says no. Radicanu. I don't know, man. Radicanu would be like, you know what? Let me lock in the billions, and I'll take that career right now. Like, I don't know if that's... For me, again, it's oh, fast. For me, I'd rather have uh, a Marion Bartoli or uh, or a, uh, I'm just trying to think of the players that won one major. Uh, sure. Or uh, you know, I'd rather have a one. Andrescu. Right, Andrescu. Andrescu, Red, Radu. How do you pronounce and, it? Yeah. Radu 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 Radu
I think they'd rather one of their careers as opposed to Pagula's any day of the week because be legacies are based on majors, not on who can win Canada or uh, Seoul. I'm just, I think that's distorted. I think if you're one of the eight best players in the world for five consecutive years, that should matter more than a flash in the pan. Like that should matter. She never more even made like course. the final, like Owen Shabor made the final of a cup. Of she a hasn't done it yet, but okay. She's made the finals or again, made pushes at everything else. The, like the only thing less she has to do is win a slam. That's it. Right. But that's like the hardest thing to do in the sport. Sure. It, you just made the case. That's the hardest thing to do in the sport. Like the only thing she has left to accomplish is the hardest thing in the world. Like to that's a great it. place to be. Anyways, <laughs> I have no questions. No. It's, well, who's it's your last person? Argument. No. All right. I'm going to go rapid fire through my tier three honorable okay. mention. All I want out of you. DG uh, is is just a no. I'm not frustrated with you, by the way. I'm very. Yeah, happy. I know. We're I know. Just, it's fun. Though. We're just out of time crunch. Um, the thing I'm I, I just want from you here. You tell me what you think their career high is going to be okay. because I'm I have serious questions coming out of this year for all of these players. Okay. Hadad Maya. Um, what is her current career high? She's yeah. around eleven. Uh, they, I think that maybe she can move up to ten or nine. That, but that's okay. it. I'm fascinated because, like, talk about someone who just wins a lot and plays a lot. Physical. Alexandrova. Alexandrova. Uh, I gotta figure out what their current career highs are. Uh, it's around like I'll I'll give you those as we move forward. So that's uh, on me. I should. If your career you high right now is 16, I don't. Th- I think that her absolute highest I can see her is 12. All right. Fair enough. When she's in form, talk about line drive tennis. We're looking real, real good. Um, Kalinina career high 25. Um, I think, I think that 20, 20 would be the highest I can see her going. Paulini currently 29, currently 29, 20 is the highest. She, the, the power for both of these people, the power, you reach a certain point where there's just not enough to your game to go any higher. That's, I think see, the issue with Roddy, with, uh, Navarro is going to come up across, although I think Navarro has a higher ceiling. Sorry. I know we're in a time crunch. That's fine. Sinyakova. Sinyakova, I think, is already – whatever career high is, she's already reached it. 31, fair enough. Masarova. Masarova, I think – I think has Her career been, high is 62, which she's at. You know what? I think she has the potential to be a, to, a top 30 player with her game. Yeah. I don't think – I don't necessarily think she will, but I think that's their potential. That's what I like to hear. Fruvertova, career high 49. Linda or Linda? Linda. Linda, I don't like Linda's game. Um, what's her career high currently? 49. I think she's consistent enough that she can be a top 20 player. I don't think ever see her touching the top of the game. The forehand's not good enough. The serve's not good enough. The backhand's very good, though. The movement has gotten better. That was the thing I've actually liked about her progress this year. There's just not you, enough power, I don't think. Again, like we said, we see with Kazakina, like you reach a point where it's not good enough. That's interesting. Fru- uh, excuse me. Yastremska, career high is 21. She's still just 23. No, she's done. I, I think that she's okay. a disaster. She's been <laughs> – now, I, with these Ukrainian players, I do – I am trying to keep in mind that right now I can't take the past year too much into – like they're – you know because they have a lot going on off the court. However, Yastremska, since the day I first watched her, has been – and inconsistent has been totally inconsistent. She did, I guess, reach 21 at one point. I don't see her going any higher than that. All right, fair enough. Last one for me. Clara Tossin, 20 years old, 33 is the career high. I think she can be a top 10 player. I think she can be. 
I don't think yeah. it's hard. She has to stay healthy. That is the hardest thing for her is staying healthy. Fair enough. Well, folks, there it is. Your 2023 confounding WTA All-Stars with David Gertler. It is always a pleasure to have his insights on the show. And with that in mind, DG, what can we expect from you here in the offseason? Any fun pieces in the works? Um, no, because normally I'm doing match analysis. However, however, if y'all want like, seriously, if y'all wanted me to write something up, I am like very happy to do so. I'm not just like saying that, like, oh, you know, empty offer. I actually mean it. Um, I would be happy to. I feel like sometimes I can, especially because it's my down season at work too. Sometimes I can get a little bored. Um, and so <laughs> I am happy to fill that board up with some tennis writing. I appreciate hearing that. I will talk to our league people, see what we can do. Well, thank you as always for joining us. And thank you, of course, to our dear super producer, Daniel Westoff. For yes, thank you so much. Job. Yes, he does day in, day out, making all of our content possible. Shout out to him. Shout out to our friends at Tennis Point, tennis-point.com. The promo code is CR15. With all that said, for the fantastic David Gertler, our super producer, Daniel Westoff, our friends at Tennis Point, from all of us here at both Crack Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, I am your host, Alex Gruskin. That is day number one of Nerd Week. Of course, we will continue, though, as we move forward over the course of the next four days. For now, though, David Gertler, what do we tell our listeners? That's the break. And we will see you all tomorrow. Thank you, as always, David. Thank you so much. Seriously, thank you. Thank you.